1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie you.
2: Monday morning the 18th of February Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Members of uh, the Bettystown and Laytown Municipal District Council have voted in favour of a new beach management plan for Mornington, Bettystown and Laytown This will result in a change of behaviour for dogs and their owners as it will mean dogs will have to be on a lead at all times Cars will not be allowed on the beach, sulky racing will be banned and horses will no longer be permitted on dunes. Four councillors voted in favour of this proposal one of those is Fina Falls' Wayne Harding who's with us here this morning. The councillor who voted against was Paddy Mead of Fina Gale. Perhaps you'd begin by telling us why you're opposed to these measures.
3: Thank you, Michael, and hello, listeners. Look, at Lytton, based in Mornington Beach, is one of the best beaches in Ireland, and it attracts a massive crowd in the summer. And not just the locals, but if you look at the people that draw there, they have a simple choice: They could go to Sea Point, or they go to, to Bettystown. And most of them choose to go to Bettystown. The ease of parking is a massive thing. You, you go onto the beach with your car, you open your car doors, and you have all your stuff there beside you. And it's convenience. And so much in life today is about convenience. And the thoughts of, of us... Banning, even though it'll take a while to happen, but the recommendation is for complete a complete ban on cars, and moving cars back to the other side of Betty's Town, and then as recommendation nine suggests, running a shuttle bus to and from the beach. I think is daft. It'll be inconvenient, and fundamentally, we will lose customers to Betty's Town, lose visitors, and which will result in losing jobs. The second thing that I was quite Uh, uh, I suppose opposed to is recommendation 22 which uh, is for the the horse restriction and the horse restriction uh, is for every day of the year uh, apart from the last line of it which says except for the late town strand races. I think it's hypocritical in a sense that one day of the year we will applaud uh, horses being on Leytown, mm. Bettystown Beach, and then for the rest of the year we're going to restrict that. Mm. And I think that has will have a very negative effect. And even the sulky racers, I I know they may come in for a bit of negativity in in other places where they're on roads and such. We don't have that problem in our district because they're all on the beach. We ban them off the beach. They may go on the roads. I personally think the horses, uh, be it. Uh, normal horses on their own or with a cart at the back adds to the tourism aspect of Laytown based in Morantown Beach. Now the final thing that uh, I suppose caused a bit of. Uh, an issue was the dogs, and I'm kind of indifferent to this one. This, this is that dogs should be uh, on leads the whole time. I, I I see good merit in that, but I I possibly think there's room for scope where we could have maybe one area with, with dogs and then have a, a big dog-free zone. But the plan like the beach is is great the plan is like a great car but it has a flat wheel what do you do you change the wheel I'm simply saying w- there's amendments that are needed here and we should make the amendments we have other councillors in the area who I thought were against this they, they came on th- this show uh, two weeks ago and, and spoke fe- very much about their love of dogs and how they didn't want this to happen and even on the day of the, the vote they were speaking against it but yet they didn't support amendments
2: Sharon Tolan is it uh,
3: and Eamir mm. Ferguson mm. um, so these councillors I think they should re-look at this this will have to go to the full council um, there will be a mm-hmm. little scope there maybe for a little bit of change uh, it, it's unlikely most of the times uh, if the full council adopts what the district uh suggests. I, I would prefer that this went back to the district for a bigger discussion. A key point... Okay. Well, we'll, we'll come back to you in a
2: moment. Let's uh, hear from Wayne Harding uh, because yeah. I'd be interested in hearing the other point of view. How do you think this will be received at a full council level? Uh, do you think uh, councillors will hear Paddy Mead's common sense approach or do you think they'll view him as an environmental terrorist?
4: I think that's colourful language, but the truth is that we put a huge amount of effort into this already and there was a beach manag- management committee set up with uh, representing the business, the race course, um, the golf course and the community reps. It's gone on since 2015. Uh, Paddy's first thoughts on cars on the beach... Uh, uh, the beach arose, management committee don't arose, support arose, this. Arose, though. Arose, most arose of the members in, don't support this. There's 29 recommendations, and most of them are broadly welcomed. There mm. are issues with a few of them, and he's as has been bandied around all the time: ban, ban, ban. There is no ban. There's restrictions, and there's dogs and leads. People had issues and and I must compliment Councillor Ferguson and Tolan who put a huge amount of work into this since 2015 and sat on the committee and worked very hard
2: Mm. Um, why, 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 why 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 ban cars from the beach?
4: It's not a ban it, it's a phased
2: removal, okay, and, and, well, and there is danger. There is
4: danger, which cars moving and children.
2: Yeah. Okay. So it's
4: and and it and and there is environmental issues. And well, of course, there is
2: environmental and, and issues. It was a daft idea to put cars on the beach in the first place.
4: Well, that's fair enough. But it was it was it was um, and and that has been going on for years. Mm. And it's a phased removal. How much to, is it going to, to enhance, cost? because There's
2: parking meters these? on Betty sound Sorry, well. there's parking meters on Betty Sound Beach. How much is this going to cost? The,
4: the removal? Mm. Well, I don't even i I don't see this. I think it's an ambition that, that, that is uh, uh, unimplementable. I don't know when it'll happen but it's there and the mm. ambition is there and there is talk about using the school car parks and enhancing the beach for everyone, mm. all users. Why
2: is it not implementable?
4: Why is it, well I, I don't know where they're going to find the land to put these cars and and there was reassurance Councillor Keog- Councillor Kilgan mm. asked what is the story with this and she was told I, we don't really know but we have an ambition to remove the cars now if we stalled on that one thing, to, to, it will take ages to implement, mm. we, would, we would stop a 2.1 million investment on the beach. Now, all that ever happened before I went on the, on the council was that they built houses in Beshistan. Now there is a 2.1 million investment being made by Mead County Council and it's in the capital spend. If we don't implement this and look and there was assurances that we would revisit the dogs and leashes there was assurances about the parking but Paddy has gone off and decided that you vote against it altogether. Mm-hmm. That's that's alright there is no ban. No I think an right. amendment it's not I'm right. not against the but plan if you, But if you, the amem- if you sought the amendment you Just explain the investment that you're talking
2: about million. though no, what, what, in first what, 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 what is you, that, that you, 2.1 if, million that if you, you, you spent if on? If you
4: look for amendments now you will kick the 2.1 million Just tell us what that
2: money will be invested in They
4: have they have purchase property at the entrance to Town mm. Beach um, they will push in a cafe showers toilets and there is commitment uh, beach wheelchairs as well mm. and there is a commitment to a full time beach warden once that is up and running
2: and no car parking
4: and and the car parking is still on the beach until they find other, <laughs> other uses
2: Okay. May, uh, may until I mean,
4: they find other uses
2: yeah may, may uh, I what I mean? do you mean other, other uses space, other, o- other space other space to park. <laughs> there's, no, there's no
4: ban on cars off the beach it, It's mm. it, it's, an, it's an ambition of the plan, okay. And if you if you don't if you stop it just over that, yeah. Yep. You stop that two point one million investment no, in that don't. building that's that will rubbish. enhance the visitor Rubber. for mm. every for every visitor. I'm well, mentioned. I don't
2: Sorry. know. I, I'm finding it hard to understand how you're going to ban cars from the beach when they're allowed to park yeah. there. And that's if, my point. May, may it's I, not a ban. Well, that's what I'm saying. It
4: was uh, implementation of removal if they're found uh, elsewhere. Yes, but that's that's an ambitious plan.
2: Uh, ambitious or Irish, but uh, well, I don't, anyway, I don't know
4: if that's correct. Well, it's ridiculous.
2: You're banning cars from the beach, but allowing them to the park
4: there there's phase removal
2: phase <laughs> it's removal a, like it's you lash. can't you can't dress it up any other way than just being stupid you're banning cars from the beach but you're allowing them to park there
4: but there's that where's uh, the ban Re- read read the, mm. there's not a ban right. it's a phase, phase removal, removal Okay. Where, and, and yes it, in time Come on, it's not. That's not Which fair. Will never this is, happen, this is what well, not, in, not in my lifetime. I don't yeah. see it, but it, the, the ambition is there, and we adopted a well, plan with that ambition. Mm. But the, what's in there is been lost. What well, I'm there's no ambition. You, what I'm after telling you okay. is been lost. Well, Two point one million investment. When the only thing that happened in Bessy's Town for right. years was they built houses. Okay, we had
3: even had a battle May over. Yeah, please. Right. I believe it's highly incorrect to say that. I'm. Let's get clear. I'm fully in support of the 2.1 million investment. Mm. And whether there's cars on that beach or not, we can still do the investment. And whether there's horses on that beach or not, we can still do that investment. So that's not an issue. That's be clear. Now, normally in Air Council, when a report comes to us... Well, there's
2: going to be cars on the beach, yes. by the sounds of
3: it. Oh, and I, I, hope, I hope they'll stay there. But mm. normally, so the normally when a report comes to us, be it from the Transport Committee or so forth, it has to support of the Transport Committee. So there was a Beach Management Committee that met for a number of years discussing this. But we—they don't seem to fully support this. Mm. And members of them, Theresa Stack, Alan Watson, and so forth, have been emailing us with their uh, with, with the amendments they seek to it. The businesses, be it Reddin's Hotel, Bushel's mm. Shop, they seem opposed to
2: this. Okay. So it doesn't
3: seem like there is a united. And
2: support. will there be a ban on dogs being off leads, or is it like the cars that you're going to let on that you're mm-hmm. banning it? Uh,
3: the the recommendation. Uh, reads dogs to be leaded on beach at all times mm. recommendation number 20 fairly clear uh, that's the recommendation uh, so that's all times right um, and the cars it won't happen overnight they will have to purchase land they will have to organise the shuttle buses to and from mm. but, e- but my opinion is even if they had all of that organised I think that would be bad for business in Bettyston. If people have a phobia of cars on the beaches, there's plenty of other beaches they can go to. Or when you come on to Bettyston Beach, if you turn towards Mornington... there's no cars on that beach. What do you mean if
2: people have a phobia of having cars on the if, beach?
3: If, if you wish to go to a beach that doesn't mm. have cars on it, you can go to Marlington. Yeah. You can go to Seapoint. You can go to Baltray, mm. You can go to Garmentstone. You can down. go to
2: Baltray, which is a special area of conservation. Uh, yeah. And the reason it is is because of the wildlife and fauna. Yeah. Uh, and the fauna uh, will not exist uh, and could very easily exist and spread to places like Betty's Town, but will not uh, while True. you continue to use it as a car park. True. But... True. So we're not talking about but, phobia. But we're I'm talking about protecting the environment or being environmental terrorists and parking cars <laughs> in places ta- that should be used as scenic areas.
3: Well, in that, if, if you go down that line, you could ban all people from all beaches, and that's getting a no, bit silly. No, silly, no, that,
2: silly on no, the no, 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 no. We no, have to have some no, balance no, no, between no, environment
3: I, 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 and tourism. Don't and
2: say stupid things, please, Paddy. We're talking about protecting rare species of yeah. wildlife and fauna. That has nothing to do with that ridiculous statement you just made about banning people from beaches that, that that's asking people to act like people and be responsible people
3: but whether the cars are on the beach or not it's not going to make that much impact to the fauna. level do you not think so no i don't don't think so really? but i do think if you take the cars off that, the beach do you think that tourism and business in Leithing a motorized in vehicle
2: is at home h- massively that its natural place is on a beach
3: with that logic, you could say, you
2: know, <laughs> you'd pr- with that logic, you'd protect the beaches that our children and their children well, we could, and their children's pr- children pr- would be walking the same. We
3: could protect part of the beaches, but still, I I feel strongly that uh, there has to be a big area around Bettys Town where people can get their cars onto the beach Uh because, for you know, I, I was down at the beach two days ago, and like you have a lot of elderly people, disabled people. Mm.
2: Well, I, I know a lot of people who'd go to any beach in the world except Bettystown Beach because yeah, of the cars. true, and, and that's their choice
3: to do that. But the majority of people mm. from Trotter and this area choose to go to Bettystown. Mm. And why do they choose to go to Bettystown over Sea Pint or other places? It is convenient, and we live in a world. Well, I think day. it's
2: because a lot of them live in Bettystown, they don't realise that Mornington is up the road and it's a much nicer beach
3: well look at it. tell them they're, they'll hear about it here on the radio I, I, think, I really Wayne? like Mornington they can go there today I'm, have a look I'm, but they'll I'm go in, back I'm to Betty tomorrow I
4: voted for this plan mm. there has been a huge amount of work in it some councillors put, put more work in it mm. than others and it was trashed out since 2015 mm. um, Paddy started talking about parking he's dodging the issue of, of dogs on leashes I'd like to hear what your what yeah. your, what your real thoughts are on that yeah, because okay. we've moved away from the parking what's your what's your thoughts on dogs on leashes
3: I'm quite indifferent to dogs on leashes uh, don't have any strong opinions on it uh, I think Would you have if you were at a
4: sheep farmer uh, meeting in Lobenson What? Would you have an opinion about dogs well, off Well there's no
2: sheep on the beach
4: No but there's I but think- there's children who are petrified of dogs think, and, and, and there's, there adults, there's and adults, adults who are, who are petrified, are petrified of dogs
2: and there's the dirt that the dogs leave yeah. uh, and especially if uh, you're using the beach for other purposes and you're walking around the bare feet an and all your, that sort of, of thing uh, but, of but, 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 but a lot of these dogs I would need a good run and how do you get we, we could compromise here and, uh, allow the dogs the exercise
3: we could compromise here and have half the beach open for you know you have a section of the beach where you can take your dogs off the leash and have the majority of the section where they have to be leaded especially around mm. the entrance most Anyway, stores. you'll
2: only be letting on, uh, just like the cars, you'll only be letting on that you're bringing in this band no, because beach, pe- people will just break it and it won't be enforced. Yeah, the, beach,
4: the beach warden will be there um, to enforce these and uh, all year round when mm. that building is built. Now, if we do, if we amend and seek, it must mm. be back in public display. It's gone on now since 2015. We bit the bullet uh, last Thursday and Paddy wants to delay two, pi- 2.1 million investment no, for, for then, years to
3: come. Exaggerating. The 2.1 not, million won't be delayed. We could we delay will. this. Two months. We could make amendments within two months. We mm. could bring this back to the next council meeting. Just make the four, four little amendments that I'm talking about. We could have easily have done it the last day. In fact, we were meant to make this decision a, a month ago. But
4: not everybody. Not everybody. The, not the in with your four little and, amendments. And the councillors. This going on for and the councillors. Actually, minutes.
2: everybody <laughs> is against this four little amendments, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> and
4: and, and this has come from the community. And yes, mm. like you, you most of the community is against it. can the amendments be made? Can you let, let Wayne, had you let can Wayne
2: I mean, speak? Can I because I we can't hear point. both of you on the other side. There, there. is oh, yes,
4: massive yeah. mm-hmm. investment going on mm-hmm. in Bessie's mm-hmm. town. Which I support. And, 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 and not just this. We, uh, we, this happened in a four-hour meeting on Thursday. And, and we trashed out all issues mm. in the Laytown bessies area. Now, one presentation was made on public realm. That's, that's in, enhancing the entrance both in Leyton and Bessie's And every councillor had an input into that particular uh, presentation. Mm. And Councillor Mead it instructed the people who gave the presentation to go and be brave because you'll be dealing with a community and there will be issues that will come up. Within a half an hour, Councillor Mead wasn't brave at all. He voted against this just no. so he probably could parade in here this morning. No,
3: I said to be brave with the design because uh, mm. there, there's an architectural competition and a building and that and and, but, but you're, you're going off the point of the beach management plan and talking about the investments which I fully support to try and tie the two in mm. together and then get away from the, the, you know, the, the small issue of these amendments which I really believe It's uh, a
2: big issue for the four other councillors but it'll go to full council level now and I'm sure it'll be yeah. considered in uh, the light that we've been discussing it uh, this morning Can we I say this there. is a very Just good
4: news story that has, that has been clouded it is a very good news story for, the, for that community
2: all right, we have to leave it there, but thank you both indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning. Uh, that is local councillors Paddy Mead of Fine Gael and Wayne Harding of Fianna Fáil.
5: Michael Reed
2: on on LMFM. Now there was uh, strong feelings in Rooski yesterday uh, following a no-to-racism asylum seekers welcome rally which took place uh, on foot of two arson attempts on the Shannon Key West Hotel which has been earmarked as a direct provision centre for asylum seekers. Uh, There was obviously objections uh, to the people who tried to burn the hotel down and there were local people out talking about how Ruski is not fit for this purpose with no bus service no GP, uh, doctors run off their feet, no services for people generally speaking and certainly none for the amount of asylum seekers uh, that they're proposing to bring in and live in this hotel we're talking uh, about uh, something uh, that has obviously generated a lot of interest uh, not just in Ruski but across the country and as we were hearing last week questions about who might be involved Involved in these attacks and if they come from Ruski or if they're organised gangs coming from outside and trying to make a political point of sorts. Shane O'Curry is a director of ENAR, that's the European Network Against Racism Ireland group. Good morning to you Shane and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. I think there was probably valid points made on both sides in Ruski yesterday.
6: Um, I, I, I mean I think that's fair to say, just listening to your sum up there, I mean the, the 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 concerns about services and, and GPs uh, and, and about basic infrastructure are, are legitimate and, and indeed those are the concerns that would hold for a lot of rural Ireland. So you know, but the, the people people locally have my full sympathy there. Um, but I think uh, I, I think that this issue that those issues have been weaponized and mobilised uh, and and, and And I suspect that there's a couple of things going on. There there definitely is. um, There definitely is, as you alluded to, uh, attempts by um, sinister uh, far-right type forces to exploit people's anxieties, people's uh, people's concerns, um, uh, and people's ignorance. Mm. um to um, and, and, and using fake news and using uh, using sophisticated methods you know and it has to be said uh, money uh, you know a, a lot of resources to manipulate people and 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 to stoke tensions like this. Are you concerned um,
2: that there might be a, a Nazi type, skinhead type group, right wing group uh, involved in these type of attacks? And we might see more of them because when you hear the guards talk about a hotel in a small rural part of Ireland uh, that has been watched over a period of time, uh, the guardie saying uh, that the planning that went into the last uh, attack uh, seemed pretty involved, that they were watching the place, watching the security staff uh, and so on and put a, a lot of time and effort into into trying to burn the place down
6: yeah well i I mean i couldn't like you know i couldn't possibly comment on who who the individual was or who the individuals were who carried out the attack um but it's certainly it's certainly something that has happened in the context of an atmosphere where there was encouragement to do so um and, and i would say that you know the far right nowadays uh doesn't doesn't wear skinhead gear um you know they don't dress in a brown shirt with swastikas um the, the far right is more sophisticated than that and um you know as, you know as you've seen coming from the states the far right uh has this sort of um this sort of uh, um softer veneer um and it's often been called the alt right um and th- th- that uh, that particular branding of far right or that particular approach to far right organizing is attempting to being imported into Ireland as we speak, um, and that's something that I would that I would be concerned about. Uh, without overstating their capability and their capacity, I just think that it's just one to watch. That these are people who are keen to uh, unite uh, different. You know, there's always been a very marginal far right scene in Ireland, very fragmented because there are as many. Um, there are as many groups, nearly as there are would-be furors, um, uh, but there's uh, there've been various attempts to to, to unite these into a cogent force and for the, and to join these up with legitimate uh, concerns and to and to marry these with uh, you know with aspects of social movements who are mm. you know campaigning or, or, around issues that are dear to people's hearts and mm. misdirecting them in the wrong direction. And, and I guess that that's that's the point. Um and so I yeah, so I think that I don't know who I don't know who did who carried out the attacks, but mm. you'd have to say that this is the fourth attack in recent months on a hotel de- designated for being a center for uh ho- housing asylum seekers. You know, there were two in Movville and now there have been two in Ruski. And uh and these have happened in the context of a lot of noise being made on the far-right scene by, you know, so-called bloggers and bloggers and, and pe- you know, people posing as disinterested journalists when, in fact, they're people who have a particular way of framing the debate and of stoking, stoking tensions.
2: You'll often see objections to halting sites uh, being established, uh, but nothing on this scale. Uh, are, are direct provision centres locked on with the same level of suspicion by the settled community, if you like, as halting sites are.
6: Um, I don't think so. I think that they've only become a thing. Um, a, a, they've only become a thing in in, in recent years. I think that um, there are lots of areas where there are direct provision centres locally, and people uh, and people are unaware of them mm. um, because there's, there, there just isn't an issue. Um I, I'm quite familiar with Wicklow Town where there was a lot of kerfuffle about a direct provision centre and there was a lot of talk and a lot of anxiety about it. But there's no issue there. Um there is no uh and so I, I, I think that you know this is just an example of one of these things that isn't a thing that can become a thing because people make it make it into a big issue. And I think the 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 local people who organise the, uh, you know who have been organizing against racism and uh, you know who are concerned that the people who are going to be put into a direct provision center, you know for, for all of the many faults of direct provision and, and we and our network members are opposed to direct provision as a, as a way yeah. of of housing asylum seekers um, is going to create an atmosphere in which which could be potentially toxic for people who are escaping uh, you know oppression, war, Um,
2: uh, and destitution. And there's uh, a a lot of concern for the people in these centres because of the conditions that they have to live under. As you say, they're asylum seekers, and the vast majority of them have no option but to live there until their asylum claim has been dealt with. But the centres themselves are at breaking point. They're overcrowded to huge amounts. I'm reading in the Irish Times this morning that uh, the centre in Mosney, uh, has a capacity of six hundred and ninety three that 's or of six hundred rather but there 's six hundred and ninety three people living in it uh, so uh, I mean that is uh, almost a hundred people more than the 600 it has room for. So that is going to make a bad situation worse. There is in around 6,000 people living in these centres across the country. Uh, And some of them are like that, where they're asylum seekers and they need their claims to be processed before they can move out. But a lot of them have already been through all of that. Uh, They've been granted uh, the right to stay here, uh, but can't move out because of the housing crisis and the problems in getting housing in fact twelve uh, percent of people are in that situation they have asylum, but they can't move out uh, that's the equivalent of seven hundred people
6: yeah yeah, so there you go i mean that's your surplus uh, right there in martin is is there. Mm. Um, the 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 um, the difficulty for people who have been granted asylum is that they have been through years of uh, marginalization and uh, and uh, y- intentional and unintentional disdain from uh, from our in- our institutions and they just simply can't get a fo- foothold I mean as you said there's a housing crisis going on so it's impossible nearly for a- anyone to get to get a to get a house or a home um added to which um people in the direct provision system uh, don't have the means to um, get themselves either job references because they haven't up until this point been allowed to work uh, or uh, landlord's references because they don't have a landlord mm. um, or or get a deposit together. So they have, a, the, the, you know, they have, those are just three, three of the types of barriers that they face in addition to all of the, um, you know, social, psychological and cultural barriers that they may face. So mm. really the system the the, the system for accommodating asylum seekers and giving them pathways into integration is not fit for purpose and it's you know it's really you know it you know it's really become a question of urgency um that the government address this you know the direct provision system was set up as a temporary system uh you know almost 20 years ago to you know to as a as a stop gap uh, and it exists uh, outside of uh, it wasn't made uh, you know, it wasn't created uh, through a law, so it's not reviewable. And and uh, and so, it, you know, it, it exists in a kind of a legal limbo where accountability and transparency are close to nil. Um, and this is, it's within this context that all of the problems that we associate with the direct provision system are happening. So what we really need is, uh, is for the government to go back to the drawing table and think through and look and look abroad at models of best practice. And a lot of thinking has been done about mm. this. Um, Nick Henderson, the, the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council, uh, had a, an opinion piece in the Irish Times less than a week ago uh, outlining what the alternatives might be. And I think it's really incumbent on the government to seriously look at that um, and, 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 and to do it in such a way that doesn't pit uh, asylum seekers against Uh, against uh, people who are, you know, residents Mm -hmm. in Ireland who are also struggling for for housing, etc. And I suppose the other thing is is that what's what's urgently needed because all kinds of movements and forces in Irish society um, right across the the political spectrum and, you know, including churches and trade unions and everybody are saying that there is a housing crisis and that houses need to be built urgently. And I guess that's, you know, that's the question uh, to which uh, all of us need to be need to be putting our focus.
2: Okay, we well, have to leave it there for the moment, Shane. But thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. Shane O'Curry is uh, director of ENAR, the European Network Against Racism Ireland group.
7: Michael Reed
2: on LMFM. Now to the latest setback in Airgrid's proposal for the North-South Interconnector. As you know the project needs planning permission. Planning permission in the Republic and planning permission in the North. It has planning permission in the Republic and had planning permission in Northern Ireland but as you've been hearing in recent weeks that approval was quashed by the High Court in Belfast. Let's Uh, talk about this with david martin who's a spokesperson for airgrid good morning to you and thanks for joining us Uh, if there isn't planning permission in northern ireland and you begin to construct the project in the south what is it you're hoping to connect with
7: Well, um, you're absolutely correct, Michael, in that uh, we don't have planning permission in Northern Ireland at the moment. Uh, There was a very specific reason for that, and it it went through the appropriate planning approval processes. But uh, we're a victim of the lack of uh, of political stability in Northern Ireland, and and the planning uh, approval had to be signed off by a government minister and um, in in the absence of it was signed off by the Permanent Secretary for the Department for Infrastructure and the High Court said that was not valid so that planning is now back with the department in Belfast, the Mm. DFI.
2: And following Uh, a ruling against uh, a proposed incinerator for the same reason, the department decided not to uh, fight uh, the uh, case that was being taken against it.
7: That is correct. Now, subsequent to us um, getting our planning approval, the original planning approval, Westminster has introduced legislation that now empowers the permanent secretary at the DFI to approve... Um, these decisions. So it's now back. Effectively, we're back to where we were in January 2018. The uh, planning application is is back with DFI permanent secretary for approval, and so the ball is very much in um, the department's court. And we're, we'd be optimistic and hopeful that we can get it um, ratified as quickly as possible. So it's
2: a fresh planning application.
7: It's not. It's the same. It's the same application. It's so the it, same,
2: it, it, but but it, there. in terms of the process, is it not a, a fresh application?
7: And, and no. I think what happened was they, 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 the, the court said, look, you were not, as a senior civil servant, the appropriate person to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to say, no, you can't do that now. So it's back with you and you have to find the right person to do it. In the intervening period... Westminster has intervened and said, now we are now authorising you to do it. So they now have to look at this mm. and make the decision as to yeah, how they move forward with it. But they now have the legislative approval to go ahead and sign it.
2: OK, so how quickly can that be done?
7: That's, that's, that's how long is the piece, you know, is the piece yeah. of thing? we hope as quickly as possible. There is a timeline on it. This legislation is effectively an emergency legislation that runs out in August because clearly Westminster did not want to give Sort of an open-ended um, legislation. They want to keep the pressure to get the assembly back in place. Mm. So senior civil servants can't sign off on on um, these kind of uh, decisions until August of this year, so clearly we
2: want to get it done the next few months. So do you believe that it will be done by August?
7: I, I'm hopeful. I'm, you mm. know, I've been on this project a long time, so I've seen a lot of things happen and not happen, mm. but, um, you know, it's very much with the department done, I'd be, I'd be hopeful and optimistic that they, that they will. Okay, are you concerned
2: about a, a, another date uh, or a date uh, uh, that uh, we have fixed in our, our diary for the moment? It's a movable feast, it seems, but the 29th of March, what if this is looked on on the 1st of April after Brexit? in other words.
7: Well, I've even got a a date closer to home uh, than than the 29th of March and I'll come back to that Mm. in a second, Michael. Um, We're in the Supreme Court in Dublin tomorrow. On, the, on this project, and the, you may be uh, aware that there was a um, the, the high court decision. Uh, uh, the high court appeal has made its way up to the supreme court, and we are expecting a decision tomorrow. And it was a very, again, a very technical matter that was taken up by the supreme court, and it's effectively the, it concerns the role of on board Planola, um, and, it's, and its adjudication of the decision in the south. So we're expecting a decision on that. We're reasonably optimistic and confident that it will be and uh, it will be good mm. for us. But I just wanted to alert you to that. It will be. It'll
2: oh, be absolutely, a tomorrow. very significant uh, yeah. uh, event for a lot of our listeners, uh, as indeed uh, for the project managers. Uh, but uh, you still face into potentially the same problem that you may be constructing uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, these pylons uh, with nothing to connect to because you don't have permission north of the border. If you if you get past Brexit, uh, whenever that is, if it's the 29th of March or the 29th of April or whatever the case may be yes uh, what difference would that make uh, to your application
7: well in terms of if you look at at Brexit um, obviously it's something that's that's hugely important to us it's an all-island market that we have and it's been in place for over 10 years and it's worked very very well the one thing you know nobody knows exactly what's going to happen with Brexit but what we are reassured by everybody in Belfast and in Dublin and in London is saying they want that all-island market to continue. Mm. So we are confident in fact Theresa May was in Belfast last weekend and specifically made that point so we are, we, you know, we are confident that it will continue on and uh, clearly the North-South interconnector it will be an integral part of that.
2: But that leaves you hopeful and nothing more than hopeful really that uh, the well-intentioned objectives are realised uh, in the event of Brexit uh, will then you're not talking about the European Union uh, north of the border, uh, and it has priority status, does it not, as an EU project between two European countries. That it, will change.
7: Um, it, they, the, the project itself does have priority status, um, but it predated that. We got um, The EU made it what they call a, a PCI, a project of common interest, probably about four or five years ago. And as you well know, Michael, that project predates that. So it, it, it didn't come out as a result of EU uh, legislation or any EU encouragement. We, it was done uh, because uh, we believed in Belfast and in Dublin it was the right thing to do. So whatever happens with Brexit, it will go ahead. It doesn't undermine it. It won't make any difference to it. The all-island market uh, was that It's a bilateral agreement between ourselves, London uh, and London. And they, you know, we, we, it will continue the all island market and the North South Interconnector will be an integral part of that.
2: Uh, if it doesn't go ahead, what will it mean to the power supply in Northern Ireland?
7: Well, um, it's, it, it, it's the most important thing about the in, in North South Interconnector is to make the all island market work very efficiently um, and to make sure that the cheapest and most efficient electricity generators uh, operate in the market. If you know it does, it wasn't to happen. What would happen in Northern Ireland is. They would end up relying on very old and inefficient and expensive um, fossil fuel based generators. And, and that's not what people want. Um, uh, would there be blackouts or whatever? There's nothing apocalyptic like that. I think that there's enough generation there to keep the lights on. But it would be old inefficient and very environmentally unfriendly so that's that's the scenario we'd be left with and it would be something similar we have more generation in the south um but at the same time we would be relying on stuff that we really don't want to use
2: uh no deal hard border brexit uh would undoubtedly result in the end of this, well, not maybe not undoubtedly, but uh, it certainly has the potential to bring about the end of uh, this proposed project. Uh, and we've been hearing that it could result in electricity being generated on barges in order to supply people in Northern Ireland. Uh, if you don't get planning permission for it, uh, is there the same possible scenario?
7: This, that scenario came about from a, uh, a, a paper in, in London, and obviously they had to do scenario planning for all sorts of um, for all sorts of eventualities that might happen as a result of Brexit. That's perhaps one of the more al- alarming scenarios. I don't think anybody really believes that going to be barges will be required. There is enough generators in Northern Ireland to keep the lights on there. But clearly, what we really want is a, a, a proper ordered. Uh, Brexit, and also to have the north-south interconnected to make sure that the all-island market works as efficiently as possible and that we're not relying on, it won't be barges, but relying on old, inefficient electricity generation plant to keep the lights on.
2: OK, and without the all-island power agreement, what would it mean for the south?
7: For the south, we'd have a similar kind of situation, except that you know, we, we, we have a... We don't, we're not as, um, we don't have as much old plants that we're relying upon. We've got a lot of um, renewable energy, obviously, um, and we have some very new, modern and efficient plants. But we would be relying on stuff that we want to mothball. Uh, and we have, you know, there are a number of old, inefficient plants that we know. So if you look at Mon- Money Point, which is the biggest generation plant over in the west coast of Ireland, that's due to be mothballed in about five years' time. So, you know, would we have to keep working with that? That's a coal-fired station that we don't want to use. Would we end up having to use that? So that's the kind of, you know, bad-case scenario that we want to try and avoid.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you for joining us here on the program this morning, David Martin, spokesperson for Airgrid.
7: Michael, Michael Reed on
8: LMFM. On LMFM. Now
2: let's find out what you've been saying to us Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you Marie.
8: Good morning. To say the floodgates have have opened Michael, the floodgates in relation to this beach management plan. So many people getting in touch uh, it's definitely struck a chord M- uh, Bernadette first off phoned in to say that listening into your discussion I give a thumbs up to no dogs of Leeds however I do have reservations in relation to cars, she's suggesting that they have maybe pockets on the beach that would accommodate maybe 20 cars at a time And that people park there because she thinks there's nowhere else for people to park. She thinks that dogs who are on leads, the owners should still be made to clean up after them because that's a huge problem. And she thinks no horses either. Horses are meant for fields, not on beaches, that they leave a huge mess behind as well. Mm. And she says it's the only place families in the summertime can bring their children if it's a good day so that's her suggestion all
2: right i thought she was going to suggest putting cars on leads but okay
8: (laughs) Stephen, cars yes ban them only allow dogs on leads and make sure cleaning up dog poo is enforced rory cars yes dogs off leads no anna there is no place to park your car dogs allowed off lead in certain hours like some parks are doing Sharon says oh my god cars should be off the beach telling kids to be careful that they don't That they don't get knocked down on a beach is ridiculous. Is there anywhere left to walk your dog? Why should they be kept on leads everywhere? As long as they are not annoying anyone, why not let them run free?
2: Mm. Well, that's a very good point. The problem is a lot of dogs annoy an awful lot of people and it's down to the dog owners and the bad dog owners. And I think that the result of that is that everybody has to suffer.
8: Louise says, wonder is this for peak season only or all year round?
2: All year round,
8: yeah. Peter thinks it's very unfair to ban dogs from the beach completely. Many of us dog owners only let the dog off when there are very few people around and clean up after them. I think it's very unfair in those of us who have been using the beaches for years. Marie from Dundalk phoned in, listening into your show. A great start to the show this morning, Michael. Very interesting. I feel that th- there should be no dogs on a beach, even on Leeds. I was over at Black Rock Beach last year. Uh, my boys were having a picnic. Uh, somebody walked past with a big Rottweiler with one of these extended leads which meant that the Rottweiler could come over and were right beso- was right beside the kids it was very scary she says she might concede to a section maybe of a beach just being earmarked for dogs but that would be it she doesn't like the idea of them roaming around even on the extended leads and she says there's still the worry about them pooing and peeing as she puts it she says I've walked Clara Head several times as well and there are a lot of people with big dogs not your ordinary size of dogs Michael and they let them run around you mm.
2: Yeah. Well, a Rottweiler should be muzzled, uh, just to say it's uh, one of uh, the 10 dangerous breeds, isn't it? Mm.
8: Another listener, I would agree with no cars on the beach. It's dangerous when you have cars flying around and kids playing. We always went to Leytown South Beach with the kids. There's a car park at the top. So, no cars allowed. It's Mm. safe for children, unlike Betty's Town, and a lot cleaner. I'm a dog. I think
2: everywhere is unlike Betty's Town, and a lot cleaner, and without cars. Uh, It's a a remarkable thing the way uh, they've turned it into a a car park. I imagine the council is going to have something to say about the loss of revenue because uh, there does be a lot of cars parked there, and they're paying parking charges
8: i'm a dog trainer very few people have well behaved dogs and have control of their dogs all dogs should have leads longer lead allows dogs freedom but handler is still in control. I can be fearful of a strange dog running up at me. A special area for off Leeds would be better. I think that would keep everybody happy. Yeah. Michelle mm-hmm. says, Where on earth, Michael, will the hordes of people who come up from Dublin park on warm days at Betty's town? There's very little parking in Betty's town as mm-hmm. it is. Even for locals, shopping it can be impossible to park. So where will these people go? I'm not saying I disagree. Mm. I'm just wondering where.
2: Yeah, I suppose they could go to Mornington or Gormanston or somewhere else.
0: You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
9: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash
0: weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Uh, let's uh, go uh, to loudstow from me and uh, an attempted carjack yesterday Uh, independent councillor kevin callan is on the line to tell us about what happened to your colleague independent councillor jim tenancy good morning to you kevin
1: good morning michael how are you
2: i'm I'm well and uh, i believe jim is well uh, and uh, is getting over this incident Uh, it was a frightening incident i take it nonetheless
1: well, absolutely, Michael. He's he's back to work this morning um, in County Hall, but it was a very, very frightening incident for him, um, which happened yesterday morning, the last thing in the world he thought was going to happen, um, on a quiet road up around Darver and uh, there was an attempt to pull him from his vehicle on a on a local road.
2: Mm. Uh, and what did he do?
1: Well, my understanding is, from talking to him, he was quite shook up after it, but my understanding is that he was travelling to see a family in the Darver area yesterday morning, and a person appeared onto the middle of the road... Uh, attempting to stop the vehicle. Now, Jim, like most people, would think that the person needed help. So he stopped and the person proceeded to try to physically pull him out of his car and was quite successful in getting him out of the car. Jim managed to get back into the car and to start the car and to travel up the road. But, um, you know, he had quite a fright. And I suppose from our point of view, it would be to to ask people to be very careful of the likes of this because his first instinct was to stop. He thought somebody was in trouble and was trying to help them.
2: Mm, And he started driving away with this fellow hanging out of him.
1: Well, I'm, I'm not too sure on exactly hmm. what happened in terms of of, uh, of that part of it, but he had to get back into the car and to, to try to get away at that stage because obviously there was a serious attempt to not only pull him from the vehicle and to assault him, but also to take the vehicle from him. So again, I suppose in, in, in that moment he had to do everything he thought he possibly could to protect himself and his property.
2: Oh, understandably so, uh, but uh, he drove back... Uh Uh, I think uh, to discover that this fella had some difficulty trying to get away and also tried to to steal a second vehicle.
1: I'm not aware of that part of it, but I do know that the Gardaí have uh, detained somebody in relation to what happened. So I'm conscious of the fact, and again, to commend the Gardaí for that part of it. Um, now, you'd have to wonder, Michael, if what would possess anybody to try to, to actually physically remove somebody from a car. But a large part of the county is rural, is very quiet, and this could happen to anybody. And again, it's the split-second reaction that you think somebody is in trouble and you try to stop to help them. And that's a split second when things can go very, very seriously wrong.
2: Mm, I understand a a local couple found him in their van trying to drive out of their driveway and managed to take the keys out of the ignition. So that was the end of uh, a second uh, attempt. But as you say, uh, somebody is being questioned about this and uh, Jim Tenenty uh, doing quite well and back uh, to normality as such uh, with uh, an unbelievable memory in the meantime. Kevin, thanks uh, for telling us what happened. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, indeed. Uh, Let's go back uh, to your comments. Uh, Marie, actually, you were talking to Jim this morning, weren't you?
8: I was, indeed, yes. And and he sounded in good form to you. He did, but Mm. he was still quite shook up, as you would be when something like like that would happen out of the blue. Mm. you think when someone's flagging you down that it's going to be all right, you know. And uh, he was definitely taken aback.
2: Yeah, I'm glad uh, that uh, that's uh, as bad as it got
8: can I go to Paddy who phoned in this morning yeah. and wasn't a bit mm. impressed with the opening segment of the show because he said you allowed councillors Mead and Harding to shout down each other throughout and even even you shouted both of them down at times yourself Michael mm. obviously you don't suffer with hearing issues Michael but maybe you should take time to think of those who do because it might give you pause for thought when conducting an interview Paddy himself doesn't suffer in this way but he has been in the company of those who do and he says that when listening to the show he often finds it difficult to follow what's going on but these, his friends mm, tell him mm, this because mm, they have mm. hearing difficulties and when you when you allow guests to shout each other down so maybe you should stop this and consider your listeners says okay. Paddy
2: yeah, We will work harder, I mean I think I, I did on at least one occasion say we can't hear both of you, you speaking at the same time uh, but uh, we'll try to do that uh, a little bit more efficiently and regularly in future, thanks uh, for the feedback.
8: Rory texts in and says, "Michael, maybe it should be humans on the leads that dogs don't dump rubbish on the beach." Mm. Brona says most blue flag beaches in the north have this policy between April and October or something like that. Dogs must be kept on a lead. This is to stop fouling when dogs disappear from the owner's view. I'm not sure what can be done about horses, but maybe horse owners should also be, be responsible for lifting horse mess too. Mm. Another listener, David, if I heard, have I heard it right, Michael, that they're making recommendations in this plan, but they've no intent. In seeing it through because they say they're banning cars, but that it may never happen. Is this for real? David wants to know.
2: I think so. Was he
8: hearing things? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Fiona says, cars off the beach. I went once with my small children and would never go again. My little girls were, were walking just a little bit ahead of me. And one of my girls was two and a car came flying past and nearly knocked her down. And she says she was in a state of shock and never visited the beach again. Mm. Uh, Mark says Councillor Harding is correct that this is an incredible investment for the beaches Mm. Joe from Drogheda listening to your show does Michael know that he's the host of the show that he's not entitled to his opinion he has two people on one pro and one against Mr Reeves should be told he is merely the host and he should not be given his own uh, opinion on what is going on that this is a very dangerous precedent to set
2: All right. well I've been told now anyway haven't
8: I I'm says hmm. Michael you should be a bit more more impartial you don't want cars on the beach you Mm. didn't want the lord's hospital name change it seems unfair that as a presenter you make your view so well known and fight a particular side i like your presenting style in general but i find it unfair when you clearly pick a side says shane
2: thank you very much but i think i was uh, outlining i would say accurately why you would argue against having cars on the beach it's not their natural habitat Uh, and I wonder about the people who park on Betty's Town Beach there's so many cars on Betty's Town Beach and I don't think they're coming from Drogheda and Dublin and all this stuff
8: Michael it's low but you know what it is as well I think it's when something has been the practice Mm. for a long long time because I remember as a child Mm. going to Betty's Town Mm. Beach and you know and parking down there it was the done thing Mm. people didn't think twice about it having watched now the impact Mm. that that can have on beaches I actually only watched the programme over the weekend Mm. on the beaches of Ireland and how certain beaches are being affected by cars going on to the beaches, it would make you think twice, of course, because you realise the impact that it's having. Mm. But I think in the case of Betty's Town, it's the, it's the practice that has been there and it's really to change people's thinking. Well, probably. it's when they put
2: it in the parking metres that it Yeah, really well, that got wasn't back. there
8: years ago. Exactly, yeah. 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 I
2: mean, there was the odd car here and there years yes, ago. Yes, it
8: was, yeah.
2: Now yeah. it is a car park. It
8: is, you're, and, you're right there. And,
2: there's, and yes. I think that's only the last 15 years or so. I yes. could be mistaken, but uh, it's a relatively new thing. Yes. And yes, we've had a big increase in the population. We've certainly and a big increase in the population in Bettystown and I'd bet money that 80% of the cars that are parked on Bettystown Beach belong to people who live in Bettystown who are driving around the corner down to the beach because you can, it's legal, there's a parking meter and all that sort of stuff.
8: Yes, you could, you could mm, be right. Mm, and mm. I have to say, since they put... I haven't be, gone to Betty's town in years myself. Sure, why
2: would you bother with all that? You know, I yeah. really mm. haven't
8: because uh, there's other beaches you can go and, and there, there, there's a car park close by and you mm. can walk yeah. on it mm. and you don't have to worry about the cars. Yeah, well, you
2: can go to the beach... Like, I mean, I don't go out in yes. a Sunday afternoon to the car park. <laughs> yes,
8: I know. No, you don't. It's horrible. And, and the difficulty is now, mm. the difficulty is, even though I know... Uh, Councillor Harding said that, you know, this, this is not going to happen for years. It, it, it's going to be in the plan, but it mm. won't happen because there's nowhere oh, to, God, to put a car park. Like it, yeah. mm, but mm. that should, that needs to be looked at because it works in lots of other beaches where they have a car park mm. close by and people go to the beach and it doesn't ruin their day.
2: Yeah, well, there isn't a uh, piece of land in Town left to build a car park on and uh, so that's many buildings. the problem. Yeah, that's it. All right. Uh, Thanks for that, Marie. Thanks, everybody, who's been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. And our telephone number is 185715958.
0: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on,
2: on LMFM Now uh, in uh, the event of uh, no deal brexit and hard uh, border there will be a return to violence on this island if there's is to be a border poll in the context of brexit there'll be a return to violence on this island there's little or no doubt about that. It's just a question of scale and the scale of violence, according to new research, which is being published today. Let's talk about it with Finnefall Senator Mark Daly, who's one of the researchers. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us as always, uh, Senator Daly. Uh, tell us about the other people who are involved in this report. Good
10: morning, Michael. The other people involved in the report are two UNESCO world chairs and they are experts in preventing violent extremism. Um, They have put together research and programs and policies in this area and they've put together a global network of UNESCO chairs on children, youth and community. What they have found is there's an absence of memory of harm in both communities in Northern Ireland among the agreement generation, those who were born just before or since the Good Friday Agreement. And when I compiled the report for the Good Friday Agreement Implementation Committee in 2017 in relation to Brexit and the future of Ireland, uniting Ireland and its people in peace and prosperity is the full title of the report. One of the key recommendations was how to maintain the peace in the run-up to any future referendum. But of course, as a result of Brexit, it became apparent that there could be a return to a hard border so we expanded the research to look at what would be the consequences of the reintroduction of infrastructure upon, uh, on the border and it is quite clear that in the, uh, according to UNESCO World Chairs, that in the event of the return to infrastructure on the border which could happen in the next six weeks in the event of a no deal uh, Brexit then you will have a return to violence in Northern Ireland um, and the only question they say is the scale of the violence
2: uh, and um, we're just sure of 21 years uh, since uh, the good friday agreement was reached so the argument here is that anybody under the age of 25 basically doesn't have a, a, any real understanding of what the troubles meant for people living on this island
10: yeah and what the the, the generation that actually went through the the troubles that the parents and the grandparents of those uh, kids who are in the agreement generation have not passed on, in many instances, the horror of the troubles. And some kids in very disadvantaged areas are being radicalized, to use a term from a different conflict, Mm. by loyalist and Republican paramilitary leaders for their own ends. And that is a serious issue in both those communities. And like what they do point out is most young people, the UNESCO chairs point out that most young people, even during the Troubles, and most people in Northern Ireland, did not get involved in the violence and the conflict, but it only takes a small number of people to cause a huge amount of car- harm to a lot of uh, members of their own community and the uh, the other community. So it, it, the lesson of, I suppose, the, the, the Troubles is that you need to prevent an outbreak of violence and you need to do that in the instance of a hard border, uh, making sure that it doesn't come back into place, but more importantly, the issue of a rushed referendum Mm. uh, is one that uh, Michael Ortiz uh, gave a submission for the report, and he was appointed by President Obama as the first ever U.S. diplomat on the issue of countering violent extremism and how you prevent young people being radicalized. He advised the French government, the Belgian government, and governments around the world on how to make sure that young people who live in disadvantaged uh, communities, in the Muslim community in France and in, in in Belgium, and also uh, in Britain, how you prevent those young people being radicalised and exploited. Um, Would you have the same issue in Northern Ireland where we saw during the 2012... 13 Flags protest where young people Mm. under 30 years of age were out uh, and rioting against the police uh, for a small change in the protocols around the flying of the Union Is is that the
2: type of of violence you'd be fearful of? Because if we remember back to the Troubles, I I think it's probably right to say uh, that uh, the fellows who were rioting and throwing the petrol bombs and all that sort of stuff were uh, in their late teens uh, up to that age group of maybe 25 uh, and they were predominantly male but the gunmen uh, seemed to be somewhat older
10: Well I mean people get radicalised and brought in from all sorts of age groups and categories and what we also remember from the Troubles is that you know it it started uh, as rioting and ended up as car bombings in the centre of London you know and that's That's what can happen when things spiral out of control. And that's why having a report like this at this moment and in time is very important so that people in Westminster understand the consequences for this island and the necessity to have the backstop in place so that there isn't a return to a hard border. But also, in the issue of a future border poll, the the lesson is also quite clear from Brexit. You don't hold a referendum and then try to plan out the future. If we're going to plan out a vision for... the the new Ireland which we would all like to see and aspire to have, we have to take the time, effort and energy to engage with all sides to lay out the future uh, view that we have that we would like to see for this this country and for this island and that takes a lot of time effort and energy as I said but it is well worth doing because we see now the chaos in Britain as a result of them not doing that in advance of a referendum and they are now suffering the consequences economically of that but in this context of northern ireland the, the the consequences would be far more than economic if the if there is a rushed uh, referendum on a united ireland but that mm. doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for it because uh, uh, one of the key quotes i came across was that policy neglect seldom goes unpunished and as it is true of brexit it is most certainly true on the issue of any future border poll
2: Uh, And why should it not be rushed? Uh, I mean, what's the concern here? Is it that uh, people would be polarised and uh, take sides uh, on sectarian grounds?
10: That's the fear and concern, and that's why the vision for the whole island in terms of health and education and housing on the bread and butter issues need to be laid out quite clearly. What would be the future of policing? But also, uh, the economics being one element, but one of the clear uh, learnings that I've come across is the issue of identity. And people are fearful that their identity would be taken away from them uh, and that they would not be respected in a new island. And that's why you need to take the time to do it uh, and to do it properly. And we have done that in the South in the past, where we've citizens' assemblies, uh, we've had long discussions uh, in pre-legislative scrutiny, uh, and, you know, we've taken the time to to do it right. Uh, And then when people, whether they're far against it, they know what they're getting. They have clarity around that, and that's not what happened in Brexit. People were told, quite frankly, a lot of lies. They were told mistruths, uh, and the facts weren't out there. And that's why having the facts out there. But this report is not just highlighting the, the the problems; it's also giving solutions in relation to what can be done in order to help those young kids. An integration issue in in homes, uh, schools, and communities is one of it, uh, but just not formal education. It's also the roles of the arts, so music and entertainment that is cross-community, where people can come together and have a shared space. And there has been a lot of great work done, but it needs to be scaled up across Northern Ireland in advance and to make sure that people understand that uh, you know the consequences of the past so that's why the the UNESCO world chairs argue that history needs to be used against itself so instead of history as a, a way of saying we were wronged in the past and we must get justice for our side you know need to use history to look at how the past has had terrible consequences for all sides, and and look Mm. to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future.
2: And do you Uh, believe that, I'm sorry, do, do, do you believe that a threat to peace comes from just A small number of people, but that threat is great because if we look at uh, the number of dissidents uh, that we have in the moment, we also realize that they're capable of the car bomb in Derry. And if we look back on history, we know that one event can act as a recruiter and can change the minds of so many people overnight.
10: Yeah, that's that's exactly it, you know, and you know, uh, the issue of like what started out as rightly civil rights marches uh to get what was just equal treatment for people in Northern Ireland was then uh, spiraled out of all control because of incidents that happened along the way and that one of the professors, Professor Dolan, points out that at the height of the troubles, most young people weren't involved. But it, as you said, it's just a small number of people can cause a huge amount of damage. And then that causes the other side to react. And then you have the tit for tat. And we go back to where we don't want to be. So we need to look at, in in the issue of a, a border poll, you cannot have a rush border poll. That's one lesson of brexit but also in the issue of brexit itself that is why the backstop is so vital and that's why the government and all sides in leinster house have been fighting so hard and explaining to our Mm. european colleagues the 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 huge importance for this island to make sure that there is no return to infrastructure that would act as a target uh, that would be attacked by dissidents for their own causes and not that they they have any care about the issue of Brexit, but they want to utilise that to get young people involved to to achieve their own aims.
2: All right, Uh, that's uh, the fear if it happens. Do you think it will happen? Do you think we're looking at a hard Brexit?
10: Um, I suppose Dan O'Brien, an economist who worked in the European Commission on Rights for the Irish Independent three weeks before Christmas, said that there was a 68% chance of there being a hard Brexit. Uh, But like, you know, as a week is a long time in politics with Brexit, a day is a long time in politics. I see on the TV screen in front of me, Labour MPs resigning at this moment in time because of the Labour Party's Brexit strategy. So between now and the 1st of April, uh, literally anything could happen, but we need to have the facts. And like one of the key things about this report and UNESCO world chairs who have devised programmes for countries around the world hmm. in relation to preventing young people from being radicalised is here are the facts hmm. and if you ignore them well then you need to know that there are consequences for that.
2: And does that mean that the government should be preparing for the worst and uh, to police the border?
10: We should always hope for the best and prepare for the worst uh, but like in terms of policing the border we would hope that in relation to the backstop, that the European Union and Britain, who negotiated the backstop mm-hmm. and asked for the backstop to be put in place uh, and agreed to it, would stand by their word because if they don't, then there will be consequences for the people of this island.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there. Many thanks, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Mark Daly.
7: Michael Reed, Reed
2: on, on LMFM Now on a Thursday of uh, this week, cardinals from uh, across uh, the world will gather in the Vatican for a summit on uh, child sexual abuse, clerical child sexual abuse and safeguarding children in the church. Some 35 years on from uh, the first cases of child sexual abuse were reported. Uh, we'll talk about this uh, with uh, John Kelly who's coordinator of uh, the survivors of child abuse Abuse Group or SOCA. Good morning to you John and thanks for joining us. Ahead of the summit as people would have heard over the weekend uh, Pope Francis decided to expel the American Cardinal Theodore McCarrick from uh, the priesthood. He's been laicized, uh, defrocked, whichever term you wish to use and this I think generally seen as a, a positive and perhaps a, a first step in the church taking a new approach to abusers.
9: Well one would hope so that's the first thing let's look at it from a positive perspective but you must recall I've been at this more than 20 years Mike as you know now we have been saying many many things for 20 odd years and they this isn't new what's coming up this conference on next uh, Thursday because if you look back not so long ago Mary Collins that was even more significant when you think of it it was bringing victims on board, and you know, she was met all these cardinals and you know, these special conferences and all that. But nothing actually developed from it. Nothing. And why has it taken twenty odd years? Is it a window dressing? Is it what, what type of exercise is it? is it? A PR exercise? We don't know. Uh, and let's face it, there's, there's many rumours about uh, Cardinal uh, McCarrick, seventies and the eighties, what he was up to. And why did that take so long? The church moves so slow on events. And you know what's really interesting? Now, we know here in Ireland, uh, to our horror, that victims and child victims were abused. And there wasn't an awful lot done about it. In fact, there's no criminal convictions, nothing like that. But in this particular case with uh, McCarrick, it's because he was abusing seminarians that they started to take a bit of notice. Because they weren't children. Children was a diff- They looked at children as a different proposition because these were, if you like, these are the future of the church, the seminarians. They couldn't have that. So when it affected the church directly, this is when they began to act against somebody like McCarrick. But I, 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 I really haven't got an awful lot of hope. I, I would love it to, to, to succeed it would be good for the church it would be good for people who attend church and it certainly would be good for any detention for any children who might be abused in the future but I have to say and I've said this a million times why is the church treated differently than anyone else why has there been no criminal we know about thousands and thousands of victims across the world and it's not confined to Ireland it's certainly confined to Europe it's across the world we know that hmm. now why hasn't the church not come out and said, they say there be zero tolerance? I've been hearing that 20 years ago. I remember we set up child protection here. Now, I, 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 I think they're a great idea, uh, in a sense, but they have to work within the confines of the law and attached to the law of the land, whereas nobody has ever got convicted and hardly anyone across the world, and Carrick hasn't been convicted. Now, you might hear many people say, Oh, well, you know, the statute of limitations. The statute of limitations, I, I actually only read that this morning, that the statute of limitations had run out. From my understanding, statute of in criminal cases, there is no statute of limitations. So why wasn't this guy not charged? If they have all this evidence, we see it here sometimes that in, in cases where it, abuses happen within the family, We've seen seventy year olds getting convicted. So what's so different about the church and I, I keep I'm sorry to keep repeating this and harping on, but why is the church treated any differently?
2: Yeah, and I suppose there's always been questions uh, about how uh, the Church facilitated this type of behaviour since uh, we became aware that it wasn't just something that happened uh, but was widespread uh, and uh, it is an institution that seems uh, to attract people into it perhaps because of the trust that they had traditionally enjoyed and the access that that gave them to children and so on Uh, but there's been case after case and uh, shame after shame but this is uh, unique in the sense that this man has been defrocked. He was a, a priest up until the weekend I, I think, uh, although uh, it had been established that he'd been a ju- abusing children and young seminarians as you say uh, but this weekend he was defrocked uh, and that is the first time, is it not, uh, I think it's the first time that a, a cardinal has been defrocked for this reason.
9: Well actually he resigned first of all that's mm. the first thing to say uh, he probably seen, he jumped before he was pushed. Mm. Uh, and he was the first cardinal to resign since 1927. Now, uh, but he is, you're right, he's the first one to be actually defrocked as a priest. It makes no difference what title it is. Mm. Could they're commonly known as priest? Uh, yes, but I, you have to say, I think that was on the cards for the very simple reason is the uh, Cardinal uh, Daniel Donato, president of the US bishops, who actually run the investigation along with Cardinal Doolin of New York, uh, they came out publicly and said there was enough evidence here and all the rest of it, that he'd done it. So once you say that, and remember, that was the first time that they'd ever said that about about any cardinal, about any bishop. Mm. They'd never said that previously. So once you come out and say that, one would imagine, Mm. you have to say, well, you must defrock this guy.
2: But they've known about it. I, I mean, that goes back to what I was saying about facilitating that type of behaviour. Uh, they became aware of paedophiles uh, who were serving as priests and moved them on to different parishes. How many stories like that could be told?
9: Well, you see, that's, if you go back when I started this 20 odd years ago, now I made the and I was on television saying it about 15 years ago, but we had a Cardinal here, Cardinal Connell. And he actually... Recommended, he knew a priest had committed abuse in the children's hospital, hmm. and he moved them on. Now that's probably that's probably acknowledged. But I'm saying something new here. And I, when I met with him, I said, "Tell me why did you do that?" And then I, there was another bishop there, and he actually swore at me. How dare I talk to the cardinal like that? You see, that was the attitude that prevailed. Hmm. But we know now. Just we thought it was first of Ireland that if. It's clear now, we've seen from the Murphy report, from all the reports in Wexford, the priests were moved around. So if you moved around, it means that bishops and cardinals know about it. But then we find out that, hang on, it's happening in various parts around the world. So the Curiate, which is obviously the establishment, the government in Rome for for the Pope, they knew about it. So what we need to say, okay, this guy is coming up, but I think all the evidence was there. I've asked for over 20 odd years, okay, even from a church's own perspective, why don't they hold one big inquiry into all these people with a view, but not to drag it out and say, and, and maybe then they could learn something. That's what this conference really should be about and say, okay, let's look at all the allegations and let's put the same amount of effort that was put into Exposing mechanic, when I say exposing, I mean it was known as you say, it was known. We say, okay, maybe we need to clean the house. We need, the, the house, we need to do a bit of house cleaning here. Uh, and not a window dressing exercise, but January, and then send out a message by the way, anybody that's cut in future will have to face the full rigours of the law. That's the type of statements we need to hear. I haven't heard that in 20 years.
2: Yeah, and then, of course, the Church came up with concealing information uh, but not telling lies. Uh, They claimed that they were telling the truth and at the same time keeping secrets. Uh, And I I think it was Cardinal Connell uh, who cited mental reservation, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, In that, uh, if he was asked, do you know that this man is uh, abusing people? He would say, well, I haven't heard of any abuse. Yeah. Uh, well, and he, he, in his mind, he'd be thinking, well, I haven't heard of any abuse except all, all, all the reports that I'm not going to tell you about. Uh, and that was the bit he reserved, and that was the mental reservation.
9: Yeah, what, what, it's, just, it's just tried and test the thing from the church. It's basically what they say is, we're not telling lies, we're just failing to tell the truth. And But there really is no difference there. And when you, you're talking about a church here that's supposed to be humane, full of passion, compassion, Look, we've asked for here, just go back in 20 years, we asked for the uh, for the Ryan Inquiry. We said, look, to Rome, release the files, release the information you have. Now, if they were sincere and genuine, they would have released it. But you see, they won't for the very simple reason is if you were to release information on all the Christian brothers and all the priests, you mm-hmm. think from an Irish perspective, mm-hmm. you then have to say, and they know somebody else is going to cop on, ah but what bishops and cardinals knew about all of this, clearly if you have this in Rome, there are only the Irish bishops and cardinals and about it, then the curate and the, 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 the Pope himself must know about it. So it goes right to the heart of the Vatican. And that's the reason why they don't want to release the files. But if it was genuine, what they should say, quite now say, this conference, we're going to release all the files to it. We're going to expunge everything that's got to do with child abuse. Mm -hmm. And let's start afresh. They really need... And on your show, I've said it before, Mm. the only way the church can change its attitude is not from the top down, but from the bottom up. And actually, that's what's causing all of this. Uh, Because the church only responds... If it's losing money, and if it's losing parishioners, that's when it'll act. And that clearly is... The, it's, it's resonating around the world, all this bad publicity. They don't like it. It was okay when it was confined to Ireland, but now it's come out that it's virtually everywhere. And the only way for them to get out of this is to say, okay, we need to change, admit what we knew. We knew about the files. We did wrong. And forget about this idea, all this. Uh, it was a mistake. Even mechanic, he says he can't remember. I mean, you'd remember if you abused somebody. I'm sure you wouldn't matter." How far you get. Mm. This has been lingering for years. It's not as if somebody's put this to Cardinal McCarrick uh, in the last two or three years. That was put to him in the 80s and the 90s. So he denied it then. So what I'm saying to you, Mike, and Mm -hmm. in order to save the church itself, they need to say, right, let's use this opportunity. And I think it really is a good opportunity. Say, right, let's look at all of this historically, and expose it all, put it all out there, and say, look, yes, some of us are wrong. We knew we should have done something. And I, I assume they're afraid of being sued. That's another aspect as well.
2: Okay, but, well, perhaps these are some of the issues uh, that uh, the cardinals will discuss when they meet with Pope Francis over four days for this summit that's taking place in the Vatican. They're right? not
9: listening to victims, Mike. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Why aren't we there? Saying, look, this is how, even from their own perspective, this is how you can help victims. This is how you ensure it won't happen in the future. And forget about being sued and forget about everything mm-hmm. and start fresh.
2: Okay, well, that's um begins on Thursday Thursday. uh, and perhaps uh, we can come back uh, and talk uh, when uh, we hear what it is uh, that uh, they have to say to victims if there is anything to report on. But we leave it there for the moment, John, and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. John Kelly is coordinator of the Survivors of Child Abuse Group. That's SOCA.
7: Michael, Michael
2: Reed on, on LMFM. Now the Park Road Safety Group uh, say that uh, the driving test system in uh, this country is not fit for purpose. It follows uh, the news uh, that since a change in the law in December, Gardaí have seized almost 400 vehicles. Uh, the change in the law was on the 22nd of December and between that date and the 10th of February, Gardaí seized 377 vehicles which were being driven by unaccompanied learner drivers. This is following what's known as the Clancy Amendment and we'll talk about this with Susan Gray who's uh, the founder of Park and a very good morning to you Susan and thanks for joining us. Uh, This change uh, is called the Clancy Amendment uh, because it's named after mother and daughter Geraldine and Louise Clancy who died in a collision with an unaccompanied learner driver. That was in 2015 and the family had been lobbying for that change since and I think you support that change
5: of course we did Um, we've been campaigning with the family since they contacted us in Joan Park after the death of Geraldine and Louise Um, now the a lot of people seem to think Chris that the law um, making it a requirement for learner drivers to drive with an accompanied qualified driver just came in on the 22nd of December and that that was the Clancy law. Mm. The law came in on the 30th of June 2008 stating that all learner permit holders must be accompanied by a qualified person with a full licence of no less than two years. Mm. The Clancy amendment just made the penalties stronger if a, a learner driver broke this law and give the Gardaí the power to seize the vehicle that was driven by the unaccompanied learner. Now, the the campaign lasted for over two years. We believe the RSA and Minister Shane Ross should have been well ready to ensure that the waiting times would be down to 10 weeks nationally when this law came in. And yet we have... So many people complaining that they've applied for their test and they're waiting for up to six six months for a test date.
2: It really is ridiculous, isn't it?
5: It's it's not yeah. right, Chris. It <clears throat> didn't this the unaccompanied learner driver law didn't come in overnight. Mm. It came in, in two thousand and eight.
2: Mm. And you don't think And here
5: we are in two thousand mm. and nineteen and there's still people are still waiting uh unacceptable length of time
2: such a driving and you agree fully with the law you don't think that somebody should be driving a, a car or any vehicle for that matter if they haven't passed a, a driving test if they're not being supervised by somebody who has uh, a full license if uh, to have a, a license uh, for at least 2 years if to uh, to, to to accompany a, a learner that's perfectly right in your mind and you believe If people break that law, that it's an appropriate sanction to take the car off them so that there will be a real deterrent in place. The problem is, as you see it, that there isn't the opportunity to sit a driving test because of the long waiting times. Uh, The minister uh, said last week uh, that the average waiting time for tests is 12 weeks, though.
5: We have reports of people waiting 20, six months, five, six months. We don't want an average waiting time of 10. We want a a national waiting time of 10 weeks. And That's what the people expect and deserve. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's the target time, isn't it?
5: Yes. Because there is people waiting in certain areas far longer than 10, 12 weeks. And it's not fair in those people.
2: And what is the problem, uh, apart from being unlucky if you live in a place where there's a, a long list, but why are the lists so long? Why is it taking 24 weeks?
5: It would appear that they haven't got enough testers, but we found out a few years ago that in 2017 alone, um, 19,000 learner permit holders did applied for the test, paid the RSA the eighty euros to sit the test, didn't turn up for the test, didn't sit it, so the tester was sitting, wasting their time, waiting and waiting for these 19,000 plus drivers.
2: 19,000.
5: What a waste of their time. Now, as as if that wasn't bad enough, the RSA then issued them, reissued, a learner permit to all those drivers Mm. that didn't turn up for the test, having paid the 85 euro and another 35 for the renewal of the learner permit. Now, in 2014, the RSA promised in their strategy, their road safety strategy, that they would close this, what we would call a loophole. Mm. And that from 2014 onwards, anybody that did not turn up for the test would not be issued another learner permit. They had a sit and fail the test to be
2: reissued and it's a significant it's a significant uh, uh, amount of uh, people by any standards, 19,000 learners not showing up for their test they say that they have the capacity to carry out 260,000 driving tests in a year so that's a a significant amount, there's 150 full time testers Uh, they recruited 52 in March and 14 others are in training uh, with 8 more to be recruited Uh, I I think in March Uh, but uh, is part of the problem the introduction of this Clancy Amendment in in that people started looking for driving tests where they hadn't been looking for them before
5: Well the RFA knew this was coming down the line Minister Ross knew this was coming down the line we would hope that there are far more applications now to do the test But are these people turning up? Are they being um, reissued a learner permit? Are the testers going to be sitting once again twiddling their thumbs when people don't turn up and they go back into the Mm. system time and time and time again?
2: But will it work itself out out over time, do you think, Susan? Do you think it'll work itself out over time that people are applying for tests now where they mightn't have otherwise but now they're saying, God, Jenny, I could have the car taken off me so I better try and get my test passed. Yes. Uh, And that over time, that won't be the case.
5: We would hope that that's what's happening now. Hmm. But um, the RSA should have been ready for this. They knew all along that once the transfer Amendment came in that there would be Hopefully be a huge demand to sit the test, get it over and done with, uh, pass the test and then not have to be accompanied by a qualified driver. And yet here we are in February and they cannot, we're getting complaints after complaint mm. from families that are trying to do the right thing, getting their son or daughter a test, helping them as much as they can. Accompanying mm. them until such time as they get the test.
2: It's unbelievable, though. The 377 and, yes. vehicles seized. It, it just goes to show how many people are driving unaccompanied as yes. well.
5: It shows a huge mm. problem, and not only that, Chris. It shows what we're seeing now is a lot of the the charts have been uh, have been seized are not just for the offence of driving unaccompanied. Mm. They're uninsured. No MCT, some of them, no tax.
6: God. Mm.
5: Drink driving, speeding. Mm. And these are all learner drivers that haven't got a license. They've only got a learner permit.
2: Frightening. Susan, so I have to leave it there. You're right
5: right the doing such a good job in speeding the vehicle. because okay. so we want the RSN, I'd, I'd step up to mark and get the waiting time stand for the learners.
2: Okay, Susan, thanks okay, uh, for thanks. joining us this morning. Susan Gray, founder of Park, brings our program to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
1: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. michael at
2: lmfm.ie Even on a budget?